Lord, that truth that you are alive is so powerful. You have conquered the grave that we might be saved. Lord, thank you for that truth. Lord, impress it on our heart each day. Lord, help us to live each moment in light of the fact that you have saved us. You have saved us into eternity with you. And there is nothing better than that. Lord, we thank you that you sustain us, that you heal us, that you encourage us, and that you teach us. And that even in our unfaithfulness to you, you are still faithful. Praise the Lord for that. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Joe, and the rest of the music team. That was awesome. <laughs> Folks, as we gather uh, really quick, uh, as you heard the mention of the Easter production, the, the presentation, what they're going to be doing for us musically, bringing the book, um, it's going to be awesome. And so out in the foyer, there'll be posters and cards for you to take to friends, family, and to invite them. So please don't miss those. Uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that. Will you turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 1? <clears throat> We're going to start there. Several years ago, we began our journey in Luke. And we find ourselves in our text for today, Luke chapter 20, 1 through 19. But let's look at something together quickly before we go there. Because why was this letter written? Who was this letter written to? We get several years down the line and we're hitting a passage that's pivotal as we're coming up on, on the cross. Pivotal for the leaders of Israel to hear the truth. But this letter, read along with me there, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that have been taught. And isn't that why we're here this morning? Theophilus, we believe, and there was a Sadducee at that time, uh, a leader of, of Israel, who was considering Christ, and Luke had written this to him to show him what eyewitnesses, what the accounts, as they're compiled, would do for him as a leader of Israel. Let's pray together. Awesome. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for each person in this room. Every soul, every person that listens to this, we're thankful. You know us down to the very strands of the DNA that make up the fiber of our being. You know all of our days, past, present, future. You know us. And as we go to your word today, may you impact us with the truth that from Adam forward, you've cared for mankind. And when mankind rebels, there's consequences, not because you want that, but because it must happen. And may we, as folks who have been bought with the precious blood of the Lamb, may we as your ambassadors, as your princes and princesses of heaven sitting in this room,
and all off yonder. Lord, may we go out into a lost and dying world and shine. We're asking these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Your notes say, when God created man and woman, he placed them in a prepared garden. God told man to cultivate it and protect it. Man rebelled and was displaced, beginning a journey toward a much-needed Savior. Everything God, eventually, God called Abraham and told him to go forth to a prepared land which God would show him, a land where God would make Abraham into a great nation, a nation that would bless all the nations of the world. Abraham's descendants rebelled, but what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Israel was brought to Egypt and saved from famine because Egypt had been prepared with food for them. While in Egypt, they became slaves. 400 years passed before God told Moses to bring Israel out of slavery and into the land promised to Abraham. In this land, the Israelites would live in homes they did not build and eat fruit they did not plant. God led them to the perfect place, and he called the land Israel. Unfortunately, wicked spiritual leadership littered the timeline of Israel all the way to the Savior's arrival. Everything had been prepared for God to save the world through his son, but man still is rebelling. In Luke 20, verses 1 through 19, Israel's leaders stood before Jesus and asked him a question about authority. Jesus told them a parable. As you'll turn with me then now to our text for this morning, We're going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 19. On one of those days, he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. The chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. And they spoke, saying to him, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? And who is the one who gave you this authority? Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you a question. You tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? They reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now that was genius on Jesus' part, because what they were trying to do is trap him. If he had said, My authority comes from God, God sent me, They would have condemned him as a blasphemer, and they would have killed him. But do you see how in complete control Jesus is? Because they're going to do that anyway. He gets to choose when. Not now. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to turn your argument on your head, and you can't answer me. But then he told them a parable. And Jesus, he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded, to see, he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. 
What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, may it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Well, as we look at that, we've got some easy listening this morning. K103, smooth jazz. We're coming in here, folks, hurting. True? I mean, there's stuff going on that we're looking at, and Justin did a beautiful job as our senior pastor. I'm saying, look, folks, this is the way to approach this. But now we come to a text that is not that easy, is it? But it's truth, and it's what we need to hear. And we started this journey years ago to get to this day. This was planned by God. And I get to bring the book to you, and that's a great privilege. But I, I, I take it very seriously. It sobers me that all of this is falling the way it's falling. Well, we know that the planter and landowner of this parable is God. We know that the vineyard is Israel. We know the vine growers are spiritual leaders. We know the sent slaves are prophets. The son is who? You're right. The son given to others is the church and stone is Christ. Now let me prove that to you. Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem and the people were crying out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. Remember, as we studied that, that's what they were saying as he came in. They were quoting Psalm 118 of the Hallel. It's what gets sung when lambs are being slaughtered for our sin at Passover. It was the way Israel, you know, that was presented to them. Lambs were being slaughtered for their sin. The Hallel. This is being sung. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When Jesus met with his disciples for the Last Supper, they would have sang this. And this statement then later that is said by Jesus also is from that same psalm. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus arrives at the temple and he drove out the money changers. As we're just doing a little review right now, he comes to the temple after they've praised him and in the court of the Gentiles, they have set up money changing tables. They have set up uh, sales tables to sell animals that are flawed and they were keeping the Gentiles from the light of Israel. The light that was supposed to be going to the nations, the Gentiles were not to be a part of that. They kept them out in this courtyard and Jesus came and said, you've made my house, house of salesmen, of robbers. And he scourges it and casts them out, and he begins to teach. And every person was hanging on his every word. Scripture brings us to that. Now, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they come to confront Jesus and ask him a question. In verse 2, you guys saw that. By what authority? And we land on our passage. They would have known when Jesus told them that parable. We just read what he was saying. We're only going to turn one other place in Scripture this morning. Turn to Isaiah chapter 5. The rest I will reference for sake of time. But in Isaiah chapter 5, it makes it clear. And, and the, picture, the picture of a vineyard is all throughout Scripture, all the way from Genesis, all the way through to the day Jesus is saying this to them. These men, these leaders, would have understood what he was saying about the vineyard. It says this in verse 1. Let me sing now for my beloved, 
my well-beloved, a song, my beloved, concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug all around it, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay waste to it. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. It will also charge the clouds. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah is his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. Do you see that? These leaders would have hearkened to that. Israel is God's vineyard. And as he's proclaiming to them, but it only produces worthless fruit. They would have been considering this parable really seriously. He, he's basically telling them, I'm going to answer your question now with this parable of, of who I am, what you have done and you will do, and what will happen to you because of your rebellion. This parable lays it all out because they had authority entrusted to them. God had placed them in their position for his glory. These leaders were placed there to do it for God's glory, not for their own. And so as they came and said to him, by what authority, he turned it on them, and then this parable will help them understand, I have the authority, you've known it the whole time, and you've rejected me. The vine growers were spiritual leaders of Israel. They were supposed to take care of God's vineyard, Israel. All the way back to Adam, we saw that, that God entrusted that, that garden with, with him and said, now, now cultivate it and keep it, protect it. And all the way down the timeline, God keeps placing mankind in positions of, of authority, in positions that he says, I'm going to empower you now. Will you do this for my glory all the way down the timeline? Just start in Genesis and work through your Bible. It's a really good book. Kings and priests and elders, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, leader of the people, men of authority, they were placed in their positions to bear fruit that would bring God glory. Do you remember what he told us? If you're saved, if we know Christ together, brother and sister, if, 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 if we know Christ, he said, abide in me and I in you, for apart from me you can do nothing. I am the vine and you are the branch. You, you cannot bear fruit without me, but you're to bear fruit to bring God Glory, John chapter 15 says. It's, it's the same picture. It's gone all the way down the timeline from the beginning. God gives authority and there's an expectation of the one that's given it. These men clearly wanted the authority for themselves. And as Pastor Justin had preached, he said that they, and this is really what was going on, we haven't given you this authority. So how in the world would you have this authority? Why don't you say God so we can kill you? That, that's really what was going on here. 
They were entrusted. But they were given a choice, weren't they? They could have repented, couldn't they? Couldn't they at that moment have listened and said, oh, I'm broken over this. This is wrong. We're, we're getting this wrong. When I first came to Salem Heights Church, as, uh, as I was as the business administrator, and we had this building was built because we were able to get the, the square footage on the property big enough that the city would let us build, and we also have a joint use agreement, so the buses come out from the school down below us, and they, we, it all worked. God worked it out so we could be sitting in this building, which is awesome. Amen? Amen? What we had done was we had purchased some homes back here to do a lot line adjustment, and then we would sell those homes back off, but we needed to get the lot line adjusted. They had huge yards, and we were able to do a lot line adjustment and get enough square footage to be able to do this. Had some renters. At about the same time, I had one family who was behind on rent by about two months and another family that was behind on rent by about three months, and we were working very closely with those families, and I kept saying, we want to help. You know, hey, if you can't get your rent in, can we please help you with that? Um, one family that I presented that to as they got a couple months behind, you know, I wrote them a letter, and I said, hey, we will help you in any way we can. We're here. We care about you, but we can't have you not paying rent. They wrote me a letter back and said, we are so sorry. They documented it. You're going to get your rent, and then they paid their rent. And two years later, I was able to write them a letter of recommendation as they moved from that home. You know, they were, they were needing a letter of recommendation for rent. They had already moved out, but they called me and said, could you write? And I could because of the way that they had, in the midst of a trial, responded. Good? There was another family that didn't respond that way. I had written them the letter. I had called them. No response. Um, went to their home. Knocked. I could see, like, little window things doing, but they would not answer the door. And that's okay, you know. I'm scary. But, but it got to the point where I had to give them a 30 days notice. So I gave them the 30 days notice, and then they still didn't move out. Any of you guys ever dealt with that stuff? That's yeah, fun. So, so good. So I had to, and I didn't know at that point what to do because I'd never dealt with that part. So I did a forcible entry detainer. It was wonderful. Filled it all out, went to the state of Oregon, did everything I had to do. And then I, I went to their door and I knocked. They didn't, they didn't do it. So I, I put it on their door. I called them and said, it's on your door. I'm going to keep putting it on your door till you, till you get it. This is the day we're coming in, period, end of story. We're coming in. And I got no response. They, they did not yield. So the day we were supposed to go in, we opened the door, and the place was thrashed, just thrashed, just stuff everywhere, and, and you go, okay. But they moved out. Folks, God's presenting to us every day an opportunity to look at him for who he truly is as our creator and the lover of our soul and, and, and gives us the ability today, if we hear his voice, not to harden our hearts. Man, we shouldn't. The, the, the picture here is he's giving these men an opportunity, even in telling this parable, he still loves them. True? He's going to go to the cross for them. So authority had been violated. They had taken their God-given position and made it about their own glory. It's tragic. Spiritual leaders that have been given their ministry that to reveal the one true God, but they became selfish. They weren't about the harvest for God. They were about the harvest for self. And did you notice that the landowner sent servants, the prophets? They wouldn't, they wouldn't have missed this as he was describing it. The servants were met with beatings, shameful treatment, wounds. And we see this parable also in Matthew 21 and Mark 12. And the wicked leaders also killed some. As God was sending 
folks to say, please repent, please get this right. There's great joy with me. Make it about my glory. There's joy here. They would kill the prophets of God. As you read the Old Testament, like we've talked about all the way through Genesis, to Malachi, you can't miss it. Spiritual leadership, kings, priests, they were killing God's men that were showing up saying, you're heading in the wrong direction, turn, or destruction's coming. Elijah was run off by Ahab and Jezebel, wicked leaders that had taken the people to Baal worship. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet over Israel, was beaten and put in stocks and cast into a cistern because he spoke God's words. He spoke his words to the leaders. Judgment's coming. According to tradition, Isaiah was sawn in two by the wicked king Manasseh. Hebrews 11.37 refers to a man who had faith who was sawn in two. Zechariah cried out, because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you, and they stoned him at the altar. This littered the timeline of Israel, these types of leaders. And he was confronting them with something they would have understood. These servants kept coming, and they kept being beaten and treated shamefully and cast out and killed. They had come to confront Jesus about what authority they had, that he had, and he was looking at them and saying, you violated your authority. And then the landowner, he says, sends his son. And you know it. Did you catch that he says, the heir, this is the heir, let's kill him so that we might have the inheritance. Do you know what Jesus is saying to them in that moment? You know it's me, and you still don't want me. I've fulfilled everything. You've seen the miracles. You know what the word of God says. You've seen me proclaim the word of God. You've seen the authority that I have, and you know it's me. You know I'm the son. You know I'm the heir, and you still reject me because you want you instead. We can't miss that. Mankind's foolishness. Do you know that Revelation, when you get to the end of that book, talks about that Jesus will reign on a throne for a thousand years, and mankind will watch him, and then Satan will be loosed, and what does mankind do after watching Jesus reign for a thousand years? after being underneath his authority perfectly. They rebel against God and want to do, go to war with God after having him rule perfectly. Do you know how stupid that is? My dad was an agnostic. I grew up in an agnostic home. He did not like Christianity. He didn't like Christians. He didn't like the concept of being born again. He would rant against it. And then I got saved at 22. I'm in addiction. My marriage is falling apart, and Jesus Christ shows up in my life and changed everything. And I went on a hunting trip because we were hunting in eastern Oregon. I was sharing Christ with my dad. And do you know what he said? Matt, even if everything you say is true, I still choose hell because that's where my friends will be. And Matt, I have too much pride to think that I need your savior. And I said, well, that's right. Dad, you don't understand what you're saying. You don't get it. Forever? God's offering you eternal life 
and forgiveness of all of your sins against God, and you're saying, no, I choose me forever? You know that's what hell is, right? Do you know why hell is terrible? Because people who don't want God the way God truly is get themselves forever. And they, they grip over that for how long? Forever. See, it's not that God is unjust. He's absolutely just. If you don't want me and you want you, I'll give you you forever. And you'll never experience the blessing. And that's why it's going to hurt. Because you'll be sitting in your pride forever. And he's looking at these men and saying, don't you get it? Judgment's coming. Folks, as we come together on a heavy day, Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief, is what Paul said, and I'm right there with him. I'll raise my hand with Paul. And yet he went to that cross and bore all the sins of mankind from Adam to that very day he's speaking and forward. Past, present, and future, he cried out, it is finished, because he's the lamb that was slain on our behalf. And when the Hallel is sung, yes, when the Hallel is sung over lambs being slaughtered for people's sin, he was the culmination of the law. He was the one to take care of it all. And so if you've come today and you don't know Christ, know this, God loves you. And there is not one thing that you've done that he has not said, if you'll accept my gift, my son, the precious blood of my son washes you clean. White as snow, Isaiah 1 says. You can have this relationship with me. You don't have to grip forever. And there's joy here. It's good over here. So if you've come and you're saying, I don't know if I believe this, I'm saying don't leave here. We're going to gather up at the end, and if you need prayer, we'll pray with you. And so some of you that need prayer for other things, we want to pray with you. You're hurting. Did you see their response when he says to them, what will the Father do as these authorities are judged? Their foolish rebellion would lead to their own destruction. And he says, don't you understand the landowner? Once you kill the son, after you take the son out to Golgotha, when you remove him from the vineyard to kill him on Golgotha, and, and, and you say we're heirs, don't you understand if you don't accept the son, you're not an heir. But if you do, you are an heir. A prince in this room right now or a princess of heaven right now, and he's looking at these men and saying, don't you get it? The landowner is still alive. You get no heirship. He will come and destroy you. You rejected his son. Don't you see? And he says that he will take from you and give it to others. And their reply is, may it never be. And you could translate it, perish the thought. He would take, he would take Israel and give it to others? And do you catch it says Jesus looked at them. Just stop there for a second. It, the term is he fixed his gaze he gazed at them. I want you to imagine for just a second that kind of eye contact with your creator. That eyes of love looking at us, knowing that they're about to kill him for their own personal sins. Imagine that piercing gaze. 
It's unnerving, isn't it? It's a king's gaze. You have no authority. You have no power. This life isn't yours. Every breath you take is from me. Every heartbeat is from me. Anything you have, these houses you live in, the food that you eat, it's all from me. And you say, perish the thought that I would take your authority from you, and you don't perish the thought that you're going to kill me? May it never be. Soon you're going to sing the Hallel as lambs are being slain, as the blood is pouring out. And as you're singing the Hallel, you'll come to this. Then why is this written? The stone which the builders rejected, this has become the chief cornerstone. Those discerning eyes that were fixed on them as he says that, is saying, do you realize you're living out that scripture? All the timeline has come to this moment. And when you are looking at the Hallel in Psalm and you're singing it soon, you're the ones. It's you. Jesus, in that interaction, had all the timeline in mind. A capstone, a cornerstone. A cornerstone is a place at the point where walls intersect. It aligns everything. The building is, is founded on that stone. Perfect angles. Everything comes off. It's an intersection. Jesus is an intersection of time, folks. Look at your Bible. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament, and he intersects, and he says, I am the chief cornerstone that you're rejecting. I am the capstone that goes at the top of the building that also has all the angles coming off of it. Everything is built on me. And if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, he is your rock, isn't he? He is the foundation of your home, isn't he? Everything. The storms of life are coming, folks. It's not a matter of if, it's when. All of us get the same storms, Matthew 7 says. But if you build your house on this rock, the storms will come and it will not fall. But if you build your house on sand, that house falls. Same storms. And if you come against this rock, he's looking at them and saying, it's an immovable force. It is the authority. You'll be crushed. You'll be broken. And if this rock falls from its capstone on you, you'll be dust. Everything hinges on me. And the Father has given me that authority over the whole timeline. Daniel says in, in the second chapter, verses 44 and 45, very briefly, it says this. Basically, I'm going I'm to paraphrase. Daniel says that this rock will crush and put an end to all the kingdoms, but his kingdom, it will endure forever. Coming off of a vision of a statue of all the kingdoms of the world, and it says a rock cut out by God, not cut by humans' hands, will come and crush all the rebellious kingdoms of the world. Jesus Christ came the first time to take care of mankind's sin problem, and he comes soon to take care of the government problem. Amen? Amen. And we need to be in a right position with him. And here's good news. John 6.47 says, he is able to save forever. Those 6.47 says, truly, truly, I say to you that whoever believes has eternal life. Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to save forever all those who draw near to the Father through Him because He lives to make intercession for them. Amen? Amen. 
So it doesn't matter how we've come in. He's saying if you're, if you're coming up against that immovable rock that is the cornerstone of all history, the capstone of all creation, you, and you come against it, but you repent, you're in the family. A prince and a princess of heaven. So what do we do with that? That's our title, right? As God has placed you in his family, if you know Christ personally, what are you going to do with the privilege entrusted to you? What are you doing with the privilege entrusted to you? You believe in the Son? You're an heir. Because of your belief, you're an heir with Christ. We can go to many scriptures that make that very clear. As God's child in this room then, there's good works for you to walk into. Things that he's prepared beforehand, scripture says, for you to walk into. Are you wanting to do that? You can't reject God's purpose and expect his blessing. True? If a king says, this is the purpose I have for your life, and his, his person that he is over, that he loves but is over, says, but I don't want to, do you receive the king's blessing? This is what he's laying out for these men. You think you have the authority, but I have the authority, but you can come against me, and you think that if you're not about what I'm asking you to be about, what the Father wants you to be about, you are an heir? You expect blessing? You're about to take me outside the city and kill me. You think your heirship means anything? It doesn't. Not without Christ. Not without the Father. Not without the Spirit giving you the power to live this life out. And so then, wherever God has placed you, and I just, as we think about this, wherever God has placed you, we started off with that, on the timeline is where you're at now. He will give you the power to bring him glory. He'll do it. Don't be afraid of this. Don't be afraid of what he's wanting and desiring you to do. He'll give you the power to do it. And you know where you're going to have the most joy in life? Right in the center of his will. Right where he wants you to be. That's where you'll find joy. Will it always be easy? No. But will you have a spirit-led joy in the midst of it? Yes. Because soon there will be an angelic shout and a trumpet sound and, and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are still here will be gathered together with them in the air and we will always be with the Lord. And any kind of suffering is not to be compared with that glory. You will experience that glory. Do you believe? So what we're going to do as we're wrapping up is this. Because Peter, who denied Christ, within a few days by the Holy Spirit's power, preached about that cornerstone. And 3,000 people believed. Peter got it, even though he was wrestling for a while. He got it. And God never gave up on him. <laughs> didn't, didn't say, well, because you denied Peter. So when Peter preached about this cornerstone, those men didn't get it. Peter, his disciple, though he struggled, got it. We need to walk out of here getting it, true? So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have several of the staff and wives come up, and we know some of you need prayer. And, and I'm confident there's somebody in here that needs this Savior, and you've been going, well, you know what? Today, if you've heard his voice, 
don't harden your heart like a rock. Let it become soft and put your life on this rock who, who gives you a new heart. Amen? And if you've come today and you're hurting over whatever circumstances, as Justin brought this to us, you may be saying, I, I just need you to pray for me. I'm hurting over this situation. We want to pray with you too. Good? Lori and I will come down here front. Um, I think Pete's going to come up. I think we got others here. Justin, I think he's here. Carl, others. We want to pray with you. Let's pray together. Awesome. Heavenly Father, holy, perfect God, we've come here and we are imperfect people, but you're perfect. And we trust as we look at the circumstances around this world and what Satan is doing, what the flesh can do, what this world system is continually trying to press in on us with, we trust that as we walk by means of the Spirit, you will get us all the way home. Lord, may we be those who come to the throne of grace for confidence, mercy, and grace are right there. May we come to you understanding that if we've been hardened towards you, you want us to soften. You love us. If anybody is here, Lord, tonight, today that, that has not placed their faith in you, we pray that whether it's right now or, or in days to come, you will save their soul, that you'll bring them into the joy of where you've placed them, will place them into a family, into your promised land. Father, you're awesome. We trust you. And as we now go to prayer separately with these folks, we pray you're glorified and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.